0: message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit TrinitygraceSA.org. Well, I want to welcome you once again to Trinity Grace. We are so glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you'll want to turn it to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5 this morning, and the passage, as always, is printed for you in your worship folder. And kids, I'd like to invite you to be listening for the following three things in the sermon this morning. First, be listening for a job description for a disciple. A job description for a disciple. Second, be listening for the type of people Jesus calls to himself. And third, be listening for a story about getting dusty. A story about getting dusty. Well, this morning we're continuing to consider the gospel account of Luke in a sermon series that is going to be taking us up to the season of Advent. Week after week, we'll be looking at the eyewitness accounts written by Luke as we reflect on the life of Jesus. Who is he? What did he come to do? What does it mean for you and me to follow him? And the passage we're about to read this morning is one of my favorite in all the gospel of Luke. Uh, There is a lot going on in this passage. We see a large crowd. You've got a group of men who are fishing off to the side. You've got Jesus teaching from a boat. You've got the first disciples being called to service and to follow Jesus. And on top of all that, we oftentimes forget that this is also an account of a miracle where Jesus provides a haul of fish that could only be described with the word miraculous. Let's consider this passage together. You follow along as I read from Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. and Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Well, this is God's Word. He gives it to us because He loves us and He wants us to know Him. If you watch TV or listen to podcasts, you know how ubiquitous recruiting companies have become these days. You have companies like Monster.com or Indeed, ZipRecruiter, and these are companies that have become household names over the past five years in large part due to their advertising budgets. These services help companies looking to hire find the right fit And they also help those looking for a job match up with good companies. And if you went to one of these sites, you'd likely be able to upload your resume for companies to see, and you'd be able to read job descriptions from companies that are looking to hire. Well, as I thought about the passage that we just read over this past week, where Jesus is recruiting his very first followers, I couldn't help but wonder what kind of job description Jesus might have uploaded to ZipRecruiter or Monster.com today if he was looking to fill out his team of disciples. Now, I know that this likely would not happen, but it's fun to think about nonetheless. So go with me for a minute. You could envision a document that lists the title as follower of Jesus. And this job description might include things like long hours on your feet, early mornings, late nights, Lots of travel, ability to multitask, public relation experience preferred, compensation not guaranteed, opportunity to be misunderstood by friends and family, must be comfortable with loss, desire to die to self, must demonstrate proficiency in recognizing your faults, must be willing to follow when confused or disappointed, must be comfortable being perceived as weak and ignoble and ineffectual, must be willing to serve a foreign government. Now, you have to imagine that if Peter saw the job description before he started, he never would have chosen to follow Jesus. But Peter, he didn't get a job description before Jesus calls him. Jesus doesn't give a whole lot of information. He just finds Peter and he calls him to himself. And that's what we see Jesus doing early on in the gospel accounts. Jesus is a man with a mission and a purpose, sent from God to come to bring restoration and renewal to this world. And he begins his ministry by moving out to recruit others to join him on this mission for His purpose in this world. And as we pick up in Luke chapter 5, we're at the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry. Remember, He spent about 30 years of His life growing and working in relative obscurity. And then at the age of approximately 30, He comes onto the scene proclaiming the kingdom of God, announcing that something new is about to happen, something exciting, something extravagant and extraordinary. And up to this point in his ministry, Jesus has been traveling from town to town, preaching in the synagogues on the Sabbath and healing people. And as Jesus was teaching, Luke comments more than once that people were impressed because Jesus taught as one with authority, unlike the scribes and the religious leaders of the day. And because of his teaching and his healing ministry, reports begin to spread about Jesus throughout the entire region. Jesus is beginning to spread out the scope of his ministry. He's planning to head to other towns. And as he launches out on this mission, he knows that he is going to need some help. So as we pick up in Luke chapter 5, Jesus is actually taking the initiative to recruit followers that will help him in his mission. He approaches people at the very beginning of his ministry and compels them to follow him. And in our passage this morning, we see Jesus approach Peter and give him a very clear call to follow him. And what we see Jesus do with Peter is the same thing that he wants to do with each one of us this morning. He wants to call us to himself. And that's really our main point. It's pretty simple this morning. The point of this passage is that Christ is calling us to follow Him. Christ is calling you to follow Him. And on one hand, He's doing this in an ultimate sense. He calls you to put your faith in Him. He wants you to be ultimately saved. But on another hand, He is calling you in a continual sense. You are here Sunday after Sunday, in a sense, hearing the call of Christ. We hear the voice of Jesus, and hopefully we're compelled to follow Him on a daily and weekly basis. And this morning, as we consider Christ's call on our lives, I want us to think about it under three headings this morning. We're going to look at the people Jesus calls, the mission Jesus calls us to, and then thirdly, the response that this call demands. Got it? People, mission, response. First, let's look at the people Jesus calls. One of the primary things Jesus did in his earthly ministry was make disciples. In the midst of his teaching and his healing, Jesus was also concerned with gathering followers that could take his message out into the world. He was constantly recruiting. And a disciple, according to New Testament scholar Craig Blomberg, is... An adherent or follower of a master, an intimate companion in some endeavor. Often it entails learning and promoting a particular ideology. As Jesus gathered disciples, he was calling people to follow him as master, calling people to join him in proclaiming the gospel far and wide. And when Jesus calls his first disciples in our passage, which we just read, what we see from this text is that a disciple is first and foremost a follower. A follower. Soren Kierkegaard once said, It is well known that Christ consistently uses the expression follower. He never asks for admirers, worshipers, or adherents. No, he calls disciples. It's not adherents of a teaching, but followers of of a life Christ is looking for. So as we think about Jesus gathering disciples, it's interesting to see the way he goes about it. We see that Jesus is one who takes the initiative. He approaches people and he calls them to become his disciples. And it may not sound that interesting, but it's important to know that it is completely backward from the way that things normally worked in that day and age. In first century Israel, rabbis would never pursue disciples. That's not how it worked. Instead, rabbis would be pursued by potential students. Students coming to them, asking them to mentor them, to be in their life. No self-respecting rabbi in that culture would stoop so low as to go looking for his own followers. It was expected that followers would approach the rabbi for the privilege of learning from him, never the other way around. But what we see from Jesus, the rabbi, is that he goes in search of his disciples. Jesus is not too proud to be seeking his own students. Jesus goes after Peter. And as you read the text, you get no sense that Peter is looking for Jesus in this passage. Peter's just doing what he normally does, spending his time fishing. And at the end of what was likely a long night of fishing with no success, he's packing up, cleaning his nets, and Jesus comes along and takes the initiative to call Peter to follow him. We see that Jesus comes and he reaches into everyday contexts here. As he looks for his first disciples, he's by the sea. He's not in the synagogues. Not that he never went there, he did go there often. But he's calling these disciples as they're engaged in their everyday activity. We also see that Jesus uses fresh, secular language in the way that he speaks to these disciples. It's a language that Peter would have understood. He uses the language of their trade. He goes into their workplace and he speaks very easily from fishing for fish to fishing for men. Jesus is one who takes the initiative in seeking out and calling people to himself, and it would have been unusual. In this encounter with Jesus and Peter, it brings up another question. Why did Jesus call Peter? Did Jesus see some ministry potential in Peter? Maybe he saw some sincerity that singled Peter out? Well, nothing of the sorts mentioned in the passage. Peter really didn't do anything to deserve this call from Christ. It wasn't because of unseen potential or his sincerity or his gifting or even Peter's interest. He wasn't interested. No one would have singled Peter out as a great candidate for following Jesus. He was too normal. He had no religious training. He was likely a big guy who was used to long days as a commercial fisherman, a little rough around the edges, you might say. But we see Jesus calling these kind of people throughout the Gospels. Jesus goes after normal, unexpected, even outcasts of the day. And they're, they're, these are his recruits, the kind of people that he, he likes to work with. After all, Jesus could have spent time with the religious leaders. He could have been mixing and mingling with the Pharisees and the scribes of the day. He could have been seeking to win their approval, but he doesn't. He goes out and he recruits unexpected and unqualified people to follow him. It's what Paul hits on in our New Testament reading from 1 Corinthians that we heard this morning where God calls the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things to shame the strong. He chooses the low and despised so that no one can boast. Paul says that Jesus doesn't call the wise or the powerful or the noble. And it brings us up short, because it is not what we would naturally expect or do if we were in charge. If you were in charge of going to recruit a group of people to start a worldwide movement, you would likely go after the clever and the rich and the strong and the important and the gifted and influential. If you wanted to be, build a movement, that's who you would seek. But what we see in our passage and throughout the scriptures is that God calls people and the only requirement is that those people have to need Him a lot. They have to need Him a lot. And we see it over and over again as Jesus calls people to Himself. The main requirement is to feel your need of Him. It's not your competence. If you were following Jesus this morning, it's not because He saw some potential in you. It's not because you were more sincere than the next person. It's not because you had more gifting than the next person. It's your neediness that draws Jesus to you. And this is really a breath of fresh air for most of us who often slip into believing that the relationship we have with Jesus is all up to us. We believe it's all about our initiative with God. Are we spending time with Him, constantly wondering if we're working hard enough, behaving enough? Are we good enough? Are we doing enough? And certainly spending time with Jesus and God should be something that we all consider doing and actually engage in. But the call of Peter reminds us that Jesus comes and takes the initiative with us, calling normal people, unexpected people to follow him on his mission in this world. Now let's turn and spend a few minutes looking at the nature of the mission that Jesus calls us to. Jesus initially uses Peter's boat to get some distance from the crowd. It's an interesting scene. He steps into the boat, pushes away from the land a bit, and spends some time teaching the crowd, which would have been gathered in an amphitheater-type inlet along the Sea of Galilee. Very easy to hear. And after teaching, Jesus comes to shore. And in verse 4, we see Jesus address Peter, and he tells him, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And at this point, we get a sense from the passage that Peter is likely a little annoyed. At least that's how I read it. He reminds Jesus that they had just spent all night on the water and didn't catch a single fish. Peter's likely tired. He's been cleaning up from the night before. He's likely a bit grumpy. And Jesus, who as far as we know has no expertise in fishing, he's a professional carpenter after all, remember? is giving Peter fishing advice. Well, I think it's safe to assume that Peter didn't expect much here. After all, Peter knows what he's doing. He's fished these waters before. He's the professional fisherman, yet here's a professional carpenter coming to give fishing advice. It's almost comical. And on top of that, it's daytime, which you need to know, isn't the time to catch fish anyway in that day and age. People would fish at night. But Peter respects Jesus. And this is something that's, that's hard to see, but it's there. It's evident by the titles he uses when addressing Jesus. He knows that Jesus is at least a special prophet by this point. So he listens to his command. He lets down the nets. And in verse 6, we see that they caught such a large number of fish, their nets were breaking. Such a large number of fish that they filled both boats so that they began to sink. And this is the last thing that Peter expected. And this encounter reveals something about the nature of Jesus' mission in this world, and it's this. Jesus always brings much more than we expect, even if we can't see it through our sinful perspective. I know that sounds dramatic. Jesus brings more than we expect. We oftentimes can't see it, but he does. Jesus wants to astonish us. He wants to interrupt our lives and give us more than we could imagine, even if we don't always appreciate it or recognize it, even if it wouldn't be the path that we would have chosen. I wonder what you expect of Jesus this morning. If you don't think of anything else this morning, that would be a great question to take away and just ponder this week. What do you expect Jesus to do in your life? When you think of the broken areas of your life, the sinful areas, do you expect Jesus to do anything there? I can't help but think that we are often like Peter in this way. We look at Jesus and we say, I know these waters. I'm the professional fisherman here, Jesus. When it comes to different areas of our lives, our struggles, our relationships, our temptations, our frustrations, if we're honest, we don't really expect much. We've grown so accustomed to the way things are that renewal and restoration in certain areas seems impossible. And if we're honest, we'd have to say that we're like Peter. We think we know better than Jesus. we fish fished these waters before. We're generally cynical when we think about our lives in this world. What could Jesus offer that I don't already have? What could He offer that I don't already know? We never consider the fact that Jesus just might, he just might have the power and the ability to surprise us when it comes to the broken areas of our lives. That Jesus has the power to bring renewal into the areas of life that we least expect. Well, Peter experiences the miracle of Jesus, and I know some of us in this room have experienced miracles ourselves. You've experienced things in your life that you know are extraordinary. And Peter does too in this passage. And now normally, if you're fishing with a large group of people and you catch a big fish, it's a celebration. I mean, you see high fives, people party. But how does Peter respond to this massive catch that he just brought in? Look at it. He looks at Jesus and says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord kind of reminds you of Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah sees God in his throne room, and he says, I can't stay here because I'm a sinful person. Here you've got Peter in front of God incarnate. Looks a little bit different than the throne room, but he recognizes who he's in front of. In light of this miracle and the one who performed it, Peter is overcome with a sense of his own sinfulness. Peter realizes that he's standing next to goodness incarnate and he feels his unworthiness. Peter realizes who he's in the presence of and he's fearful. And that's what we oftentimes see in the Old Testament when people encounter God. They're terrified. They shrink back. But what are the first words of Jesus to Peter in verse 10? Look at verse 10 where it says, Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Here, when Peter encounters God, he feels the fear that he should rightfully feel because he's a sinful man, and Jesus immediately says, do not fear. One of the most prolific commands in all the scriptures, do not fear. There's no longer a reason to fear, Peter. Standing before God incarnate, Peter rightfully feels worse than he ever has felt about himself before. And at that very moment, Jesus welcomes him, loves him, calls him into his service. Jesus responds to Peter's astonishment by assuring him that this is the new normal. This is what you should expect from now on. There's no need to fear being in my presence. Jesus calls Peter to himself and encourages him to expect the same results in the mission that they're about to begin together. And this week, I couldn't help but think of Peter at the end of his life. And if he knew what he knew at the end of his life in Luke chapter 5, would he have chosen to follow Jesus? Would have been a fairly hard proposition probably. But I would be willing to bet that at the end of his life, we even get a sense of it in his letters, First and Second Peter, that he looks back at following Jesus and said, it was all worth it. All the hardship, all the suffering, all the laying down of my life, all the giving up so that others have more and I have less, it was worth it. Jesus says, this is going to be an amazing adventure. An adventure that is focused on bringing other people into the kingdom of God. It's a mission that's for others, not just for you, Peter. And it's really what we all want if you step back and think about it. We want an effectiveness with people. We all have an innate desire to influence others. We all want to leave a mark. And Jesus promises to meet that desire here for Peter and for us when he says, follow me, we're going to go catch people. We're going to go extend the restoration and renewal that God wants to bring to this world as we love and serve. And as we follow Jesus day by day, it's important for us to remember that Jesus is not calling you and me to be preoccupied with our own experiences of salvation. Instead, he is calling us to bring that salvation to other people. We are not saved so that we might sit in the prayer room or sit in the study, although those places can be good places and we should spend time there. We are saved. We are called to be a church that moves out, that seeks those who haven't yet been caught by Jesus. A church for those that maybe we haven't even yet met yet. In this call, it's worth your attention. It's a thrilling mission. Jesus is calling each one of us into something bigger than ourselves as we follow him. He's calling us to a grand mission that affects every aspect of our lives. We don't always feel it. I know life feels mundane more often than not, but we are going to be fishing for people, Jesus says. Bringing renewal and restoration to bear on this broken world. It's an exciting call, a grand purpose that should shape how we think at least about spending our energy in our time in our resources in our relationships. A grand mission meant to capture our attention and motivate every area of our lives. Well, in our passage, we see Jesus calls us to follow him on a mission that he was sent to accomplish, to catch people, to bring renewal. And lastly, let's spend just a few minutes looking at the response that this call demands. After Jesus initiates with Peter and calls him to this exciting new mission, we see the response from Peter, along with James and John. This call from Jesus, it's so compelling that when they bring their boats to land, after having, think about it, just caught the best haul of their entire careers, these men immediately leave everything to follow Jesus. Now, this response is really remarkable for a number of reasons. The first is that Peter was a fisherman because it was the vocation that was passed down in his family for many generations. That's how it worked. He was good at it. It was a job that made ends meet in Peter's life. He knew what he was doing. It was safe, albeit sometimes frustrating, insecure. And, and against this backdrop, Jesus calls him to something completely unknown. He's way over his skis here, taking him out of his comfort zone, asking him to take a huge risk. We also know that Peter left not only his vocation, but also his family. He left his home and his family for a period of time to follow Jesus, at least for three years. And we see from this passage that the call of Jesus, it always costs us something. It costs Peter his comfort, his security, his relationships, his resources. And answering the call of Jesus is likely going to cost many of us the same things. Now, you might be wondering I mean, is it going to, is it, is it, am I going to have to leave my job, my family, if I want to follow Jesus? Probably not, right? You probably will not be called, you might be called to do that, but probably not. But as we seek to follow this new master and live by his kingdom rule, there will be sacrifices. We might lose friends. We might have to say no to things that we have said yes to all of our lives. We might be called into unknown places that make us feel uncomfortable, unknown relationships. We might be called to forgive people that we would rather just continue hating. We might be called to spend our resources on others, us having less so that others might have more. We might be called to different jobs that we wouldn't have normally chosen. The call of Jesus is going to cost something you've likely felt it in your life. Jesus is calling Peter and us to follow him. He's calling us to walk closely behind him as he leads the way. Now, there was a rabbinic saying that came along several hundred years after Jesus. It's translated from the Mishnah, which is a collection of Jewish rabbinic teaching. And it says this, May you always be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And it was used as a blessing. Maybe you've heard it before. May you always be covered in the dust of your rabbi. The idea was that the rabbi would walk along the road ahead of his disciples, and that his disciples would walk so closely behind him that the dust that the rabbi kicked up gets on his disciples. Now imagine how transformed we would be if we were covered in the dust of our Christ. If we walk so close to Jesus that his ways, his love, his goodness, his peace, his justice, his gentleness, his generosity, his joy, his kindness covered our lives. We are all following something or someone in our lives, whether consciously or unconsciously. We are being covered by some kind of dust, you might say. And this morning, Jesus is inviting us once again to follow him. And if you follow anyone or anything else, it will always leave you empty, always leave you unfulfilled. And it's because only Jesus and his mission that he invites us to is big enough and grand enough to bear the weight of our soul. He is the only one that can give us what we're in search for. Ultimately, forgiveness, significance, freedom from sin in life. Jesus is inviting us to partner with him in his mission of restoration and renewal in this world. And when Jesus calls us, he asks for everything. Everything is on the table. But he never demands anything that he hasn't already given you himself. Jesus, think about it, left his glory, riches, beauty, convenience, honor. Jesus left his nets, so to speak. There was nothing that he wasn't willing to let go of, even his own life. Jesus was willing to do anything, to leave everything, to do whatever it took to find you and call you, to be with you, and for you to be with him. And only as we understand that will we be willing to leave everything to follow Jesus as a disciple. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the way that you come into our life and initiate with us. We thank you for the way that you have called us to follow you. Lord, as we think about what that means, it means something different for each of us individually. And so we pray that you would give us wisdom to see what we might lay down so that we might more faithfully and closely follow behind you. And we pray that your way of life, that those things that you find most important would begin to characterize our lives slowly but surely. We pray that the spirit would do that individually and corporately in our midst. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.